Hello, my friends. This is a place for nuance. This is a place for compassion. This is a place where absolute self-acceptance has room to grow. This is heart-centered, soul-powered, hopefully divinely timed. I am Danielle Laporte, and this is With Love, Danielle. Hello, my loves. I'm so glad you're here. Been wanting to talk about this topic for quite some time. Radiance. Here's the diamond in advance. Radiance is not about being shiny and positive. Radiance is what happens when all of our masks, the things that the ego loves to present to the world, get burned away. Usually there's some kind of toasting experience that restructures us so that our inner light is revealed. You can really feel this glow coming off of people who have been through the tough stuff. They emerge from the fire, more radiant. So what you're about to hear is an audio excerpt from the audio edition of my new book, How to Be Loving. Recording the book was one of my favorite creative experiences. And out of anything that I've ever made, it's really what I hope spreads the furthest, fastest. You have a natural, inextinguishable light at the core of you. You are made of the stuff of the light of consciousness. Every single one of us is on our way to becoming more radiant every day with every challenge and with every gesture of love. So may this conversation be a reminder that's all I'm really here to do is just to remind you that you already know how to heal. You are already so radiant. Chapter 26, Radiance. Radiance is the gift that suffering brings. Maybe you were thinking that radiance was about inner glow, and it is, ultimately. But before we get there, we have to look at the nature of suffering. Stay with me. It'll be worth it. Radiance always is. This analysis requires some courage. At least it has for me. Because as much as I want to transmit divine light, I have feared what's required of me to do so. What suffering might I endure to know my true nature? Will life pile on the pain as a wake-up call? Will I press snooze on that wake-up call and create more suffering? It reminds me what the Zen teacher, Alan Watts, always said about suffering. There will always be suffering, but one must not suffer over the suffering. And Eckhart Tolle's wisdom, who teaches that, challenges are for intensifying our presence, not for suffering. If we criticize ourselves for suffering, or if we slip into self-pity, then we unnecessarily compound the suffering. If we resist the pain, then we delay the healing. Eventually, we start meeting our pain with kindness. And this embrace is a kind of alchemy. The honoring of the pain transforms the pain itself. And that's when pain becomes power and the virtue of radiance begins to glimmer. Radiance doesn't look back. 
All right. Fun with suffering. Fun with suffering and radiance. It goes like this. Step one, the ego dissolves to make way for higher light. When the ego experiences a crisis, could be a loss of a dream, humiliation, an identity that's in question, then its self-centeredness begins to break down. And this is a good thing. This crumbling allows for our true nature, your inner light, to shine through. It's within that crumbling and revealing process that our me, me, I, I, me kind of desires will start to disintegrate. And then our heart-centered aspirations move into the forward position. We reorient from me to we. So, let's review. The ego dissolves to make way for higher light, which brings us to step two. We begin to reflect that higher light. When we've been cleaned out of our old identifications, all those old perceptions of separateness or superiority, inferiority, then we become a more reflective surface for higher consciousness. Essentially, we've just made it much easier for life to work through us. Our personal shining is God shining through us. Radiance is our reflection of divine love. I'm going to bring in here a teaching from Ananda Mai Ma. This is a really powerful perspective on suffering. She taught, It is by suffering that suffering is overcome. Because without suffering, very few would see the need for self-purification, which leads to the unfoldment of our immortal self. So there's some relief to be found in this paradox. It is by suffering that suffering is overcome. Once we experience the light after the tribulation, there's no returning to our previous form. We are changed. And it's at this point that most of us make a vow to never go back to the way we were. Nope, no way am I going back there again. It's in our redemption that we commit to wakefulness. Our wisdom and our radiance join hands. We will do whatever it takes to stay close to the light and to bring others along with us. Now this is the time when the ego will actually back off. It's going to start laying down the fight and the ego itself actually allows in the higher frequencies. It's important to remember that the ego isn't submitting because we've been forceful or motivational with it. Yes, it feels like life has pummeled us, but really life has been decluttering us. And the pliancy of the ego its softening is the result of us learning to be gentle with ourselves. So the victory comes through loving our woundedness. Our attachments put up a fight, but after enough love, after being in nature and rest, community, doing what brings us joy, we've proven to our small self that we have the capacity to love it. 
Radiance comes when the ego facades go. Truth is the fire, and the ego facades are the wood. We emerge from the flames more aware of our divinity, radiant. I was in the middle of a highly growthful romantic relationship, meaning it was so messed up, and years of stressors and a few traumatic events had pushed my brain chemistry and my hormones to the limit, which primed me for the first panic attacks of my life. I was on a retreat with my psychotherapist, Anne, coming very undone, and on a particularly rough day, I walked into the adobe, I looked at Anne, I shook my head as if to say, I'm not doing so good. She walked toward me like a very calm paramedic, grabbed a towel out of the closet and said, I'm taking you down to the river. We walked downstream silently, and I made my way to the bank rocks, my knees, my forehead pressed to the ground. I sobbed. Anne kept a hand on my lower back, and just at the right time, she laid the towel next to me and left me to be alone. I stripped down, and I stepped into the cold, rushing stream, and I thought, I'm like wood right now, and my life is the fire. My emotional agony, it was severe. I felt like petrified wood, so heavy, but at the same time being burned alive, which takes on a different meaning when you consider how radiance happens. There's a kind of pain that nobody outside of us can resolve for us. Not our best friends, not our lovers, not even skilled psychologists who know so much about us. Nobody. It's a brutal revelation. That's the dawning of our greatest power. The revelation is that we have the power to heal ourselves when we turn to source, which is already within us. Our extreme pain has to be given up to creation itself. It's the only remedy. And that's what I was moved to do that day in the rushing cold water. I just gave my pain to God, along with my heart. I surrender this unto you. And of course, I'd prayed for relief a hundred times before, but this time, it was an act of self-compassion. It was an act of mercy. I allowed myself to consider that I was so supremely loved that the divine was enthusiastic to ease my sorrow that God was waiting for me to turn my densities and resistances over to the light. The beauty of baptizing oneself is that the blessing is done through you, not by you. We become conduits of love. The rest of the details, the tears and the flight home and the breakup and the breakthrough, those aren't as important as what was coming next. My story from that point on involved a lot of soul fire that burned my identifications down.
For months afterward, I felt electrical-like energy streaming through me. And it was not the angelic embrace that I had fantasized about. The energetic shifting was very destabilizing and disorienting. It really ravaged my perspective of my so-called self. I suffered terrible anxiety waves. I woke up thinking about suicidal plots. I had to press pause on being a public person. Actually, I had to press pause on being any kind of person that I used to be. I was always this classic introvert who relished solitude. But then I went through weeks where I felt that I couldn't be left alone. I wanted to scrap the life plans that I'd made. My ambitions seemed so vapid. I cried rivers. My relationships felt tenuous. Who was going to put up with me if I stayed in this state for an extended period of time? I felt that my spiritual infrastructure was shredding. I hid out in a small Catholic retreat center, sitting by the fire, just had a box of tissues, reading the works of St. John of the Cross. Now, St. John of the Cross is a 16th century mystical priest, and he coined the term Dark Night of the Soul. And what I was doing was I was learning that the dark night reveals your light. It was about nine months of a living death, as Anne called it. But day by day, with every choice that leaned toward gentleness, I healed. I healed precisely because of gentleness. It wasn't so much that I emerged from the flames all victorious and glorious. It was simply that I was still standing after the fire. I had been reduced to my more essential self. I had fewer expectations and a lot more compassion for all of us. In our most arduous life simplifications, we increase our capacity to love. It's when we and our suffering call for higher guidance that radiance comes through us. It's as Father Richard Rohr preaches, we find God by peeling away ourselves. Radiance rides the changes. Experiencing tragedy and suffering doesn't change everyone, even though it should. That's what suffering is designed to do. We face the illness. We suffer heartbreaking loss. We recover from catastrophes. And in the center of the pain, so many of us beg for mercy. God, if you get me out of this, I promise I will never. You can fill in the blank. I will dedicate myself to this. I will never take that for granted. I will donate. I will give my life over to fill in the blank. And for a while, we do change our behavior, and we live from the heart. Maybe we start telling people that we appreciate them. We become really good at emotional intimacy. We surrender to a greater plan. And then a year, maybe two years later, we might find ourselves buried again in unhealthy habits. That intimacy that we were so good at, it just drifts and we fall back asleep. 
we move back into the familiarity of our small self. The personality mind takes over, and we're back to focusing on our bucket list and excessive self-concern. We're not begging God for anything anymore. In fact, we're not even talking to spirit that much. How do we make the light stick? We avow to love. We commit, and we recommit. Really common question on this path. Can we skip the suffering on our way to divine love? It doesn't seem so, but we can make friends with it, and we can lessen the intensity. We get in front of the suffering by becoming more proactive with love and all its virtues. The more steady we are in loving kindness, the fewer wake-up calls we'll need to answer. Living the virtues burns off the energetic densities that we carry. Love dissolves fear. Inclusiveness disarms greed. Gentleness melts polarization. Radiance starts as a spark, an inclination toward your heart. And with every act of goodwill, we fan that spark into flames. And this is the work of these times, of the age of Aquarius that we're in to intentionally fan the flames of loving to a scale that benefits all beings. After someone has passed through a portal of pain, there's a definitive before and after in our life, and we can't believe how blind or selfish or closed off we used to be. Here's a beautiful teaching from Adyashanti. You already know that you are neither unworthy nor special, in the sense of pride. You know that neither of these identities signifies who you are because ultimately, both are unsatisfactory and lead to suffering. The problem is that behind both of these masks lies not another or better or more spiritual mask. And the direct experience of no mask is something that most people avoid with great resolve because the familiar and morbid comfort of a known identity is preferable to being stripped down to our unknown radiance. Behind the masks and all the roles we play is our awareness of truth, the truth that we are sparks of the divine reflecting back the light of our origins. We're here to step out of the theater of the ego and into the boundless landscape of our true nature, living, breathing reflectors of God consciousness in all that we do, radiant. Our work is not so much to dissolve the ego as it is to help it calm down. And this, by the way, is one of the things that we work on in my heart-centered membership. We are using tools of reflection and contemplation and the high-hearted conversation to dissolve all those illusions of separateness. The heart-centered membership is really a, I like to think of it as a refuge. We meet every other week for a heart-to-heart class. If you can't be there live, you get the recording. If you are interested in going deeper in a conscious community, you head to daniellelaporte.com slash heartcentered.
Thank you so much for listening, for feeling, for spreading the word with love.